Hello and welcome to another podcast, The Father and Joe. And Father, I want to continue off of really the last two podcasts we did. With last podcast discussing Jesus' commandment of love each other as how I have loved you. And the podcast before that being about purgatory. So where I'm going to go here is essentially asking about how is Jesus going to judge us because we get, we go through life wanting to be able to become holy and saintly as we've discussed previously in this, in this series. And we had discussed the virtues about these are the important attributes you need to focus on in life. And the thing is, is the more you're better at them now, you actually have a better mortal life and it'll help you in the next level as well. So again, if you haven't listened to the virtue series, they're probably worth your time. Where I wanted to go here with was actually talking about the judgment because Jesus talks at length about how to love everyone as yourself and how hard it can be to to not love someone we perceive as an enemy, whether it be close or far away, um, to be able to just put something in our mind to justify having a negative outlook upon them, whatever that may be, thinking that they're evil. So therefore, if they're evil, we should stand up against them, even if that's not based upon truth. It's based upon something we may have heard or something that may have been written out there without ever actually doing the due diligence to, to find out. Um, it makes me think of, as we were talking in the prior episode about how Jesus didn't lose his temper. Well, Jesus starts his ministry. He's essentially out in the desert by himself because he wants to be by himself. And then the devil just starts instantly teleporting him all over the place out of the desert, he was happy. He, you know, he was where he wanted to be. He wanted to be by himself, and now that he instantly teleports him to the top of the temple to look everywhere. Now he's in the middle of a city, goes from pretty much the exact opposite you can go to in terms of quiet, serene environment to loud, bustling area and buildings and and no more nature. You got all this city built up, which inherently is going to change the landscape around you. But he doesn't get upset. He just, he he stays calm, as you said. He, he doesn't lose his cool. So I wanted to, to start with that as the starting point. I know that there's a lot going on with that initial question, but just to see where the conversation goes from there. Uh, yeah, thanks, Joe. The, uh, <laughs> you know, my, my first thought is to, to nuance what you said uh, just slightly, I know it wasn't really the point of what you were presenting, but when Jesus goes out to the desert, he actually is going out to the devil's sanctuary in order to take him on and to uh, fight him in one-on-one combat. So Jesus goes out to the devil fasting and praying and he knows that the devil, the, the wilderness, rather, the desert is the place uh, 
where the where the devil lives. And so Jesus comes out of hiding. He was in hiding for 30 years. He's baptized by John in the Jordan. And then he goes out after Satan and basically says, I'm coming for you. I'm taking this human race back from you. I'm taking paradise back from you. And you're going down. And then the devil comes after him, waiting for uh, him to be as weak as possible, fasting for 40 days, and then begins to tempt him in all of these different ways. Uh, You mentioned one of those temptations, placing him in the middle of the city to disturb his peace as much as possible, to tempt him with ruling over this world, with uh, to tempt him by telling him to cast himself down from the temple and protect himself or call on the angels. And anyway, all of that drama ensues, but Jesus really goes after, after Satan. Um, So we, uh, we do not have the strength of Jesus and we are, we are called to receive his strength and to find, to receive his help and to try and grow in virtue, to overcome vice and ultimately the the our virtue finds its fulfillment in love and you gave us in our last podcast that beautiful verse from John's gospel love one another as i love you that's the fullness the fulfillment of virtue is is the pinnacle of love and that needs all of the other supporting elements in terms of prudence and justice and fortitude and temperance uh to support it and but you were, uh, you were making a point also about uh, the way that we make judgments and that we justify ourselves, that we justify our, our hatred and dislike, that we justify our, our, our rage, our negative emotions, uh, our selfishness, our self-centeredness, the way that we judge others, that they somehow deserve it as if we know what's in their hearts and that we could make that judgment about um, their sinfulness or their worthiness or anything like that. Um, and we just don't have access to any of that information. We can't, we're not in a position to judge the hearts of others. We don't know how much freedom somebody has. We, we can't even say that someone has sinned. We can say that someone has done an evil thing. Certainly someone who kills someone else has done an evil thing. We don't even know that they have sinned, however, in the event that they went into a rage that they lost control that they didn't have the freedom even even to stop that's an extreme example but we can think of uh, other uh, evil things even like uh, drug use or drug addiction and um, maybe someone had some freedom before taking the first hit although even in that circumstance how many people are really suffering so much or are really caught up in the haze of uh of, of peer pressure or just being at the party and going along with people anyway. So we don't know, we don't know what's going on in the hearts of people. That's the point. God knows. God is the only one who, who knows what's going on in their hearts. And so um, we're, we're not in a position to make claims on their salvation to tell, say that somebody's going to hell or not, because we just don't know what kind of freedom they have, what kind of knowledge they have. We don't know, how responsible they are for the, the evil things they're doing. And so, um, so we can't justify hating them or getting revenge on them or, or, or behaving in evil ways toward them, fighting evil with evil. 
Jesus tells us to fight evil with good. And so we want to pray for everyone and fulfill the, the, the command of Jesus to love everyone as he loves us, as he has loved us. And that's, a, that's really a great challenge. Did I, did I cover everything? I feel like I missed uh, something that you said, Jeff. Well, one of the things I, I want to know about, so yes, discussing the part about how we're judging each other, but as, as he discussed was Jesus puts down love each other as I have loved you and or as I do love you, um, which it, it was quite a revelation when you said that, that that can be either way, either past tense or, or present tense. But ultimately one day we're told that Jesus is going to judge us. And, you know, we just discussed in the last podcast that you're not going to get 100% on this test. So how how does that really work? Um, again, not trying to strive to figure out what's the minimum that I need to do to just get a passing grade to get a diploma and keep it moving. But really, what is it that that, that Jesus is, is looking for? Because he has taught us so much in so many different ways that we don't have the power of divinity behind us to try to hit everything or maybe even a, just a certain sector of what he's taught us is going to be virtually impossible. So that's where I wanted to, to emphasize the question to know kind of how is it going to be judged so we can better focus ourselves moving forward through this life. Mm, okay, great. Thanks. Yeah. Sorry for, uh, Missing the, uh, missing that point there, um, yeah. The it's a little it's a little bit mysterious because uh, we do hear things like in Matthew chapter twenty five where Jesus separates the sheep from the goats and it's uh, the picture of the last judgment. We recognize it as that, and he does that based entirely on uh, corporal works of mercy. I was hungry and you gave me food, thirsty and you gave me drink, naked and you clothed me, stranger and you visited me, sick and you visited me. Yeah. And and so, uh, sorry, stranger and you welcomed me in prison and you visited me. So uh, he does that. He, he claims, you know, the judgment is entirely based on uh, those corporal works of mercy. Uh, at the same time, you know, another one of the, the stories, uh, the parables that he tells are those who keep their lamps burning. You know, and what is the lamp? What is the oil? But those those faithful virgins who keep their lamps burning. In another story, it's about investing our talents. Uh, you know, those who invested much, who risked much in using what God had given them, make a, a great return. And, and then he rewards them for that. Uh, another another one is about faithfulness and service that uh, when when he comes in out of the fields, the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. Um, well, that's actually the, uh, the talents. So anyway, the, uh, you know, a number of different stories of, of judgment, but ultimately uh, we are based on, we are judged on love and love is the, the one thing that lasts and uh, the, the church has done a great work for us in theology and in, in trying to describe, you know, create some. Uh, so the, the church has done a great work for us in developing a, a theology 
categorize some sin and then trying to answer some of those questions. And, and the church talks about things in terms of mortal sins and venial sins and unintentional venial sins and imperfections and things like that. But the church has basically summarized that when you commit a mortal sin, which requires it to be a really bad thing, and then also that you have full knowledge of what you're doing and you have a full freedom of will to intend that action, that when you do that, you really destroy love in your heart. And in that way, you cut yourself off from God. Basically, to use that image we had from the last podcast, where Jesus says, love one another as I love you, and his love is flowing in our hearts and his love animates us and makes us more like him. Uh, when we commit a mortal sin, we're basically cutting ourselves off from his love. And where there is no connection with his love, then there also can be no salvation until we restore that connection through uh, a, an act of perfect act of contrition and then uh, ordinarily also sacramental confession. So that's the kind of system of the church's theology and moral theology that tries to bring together a number of those different points from the scriptures in terms of judgment that, that were judged, condemned based on mortal sin. Um, but, you know, to, to look at it from a positive approach of the growth in virtue and the reward for virtuous deeds uh, is, is also, I think, helpful. You know, St. Peter said, love covers a multitude of sins. And so wherever we are on the spectrum of having committed some venial sins, uh, maybe having committed some mortal sins, we, we want to grow in love. And if we're, if we're in mortal sin, if we're really doing things that are destroying other people, I mean, I'm uh, doing this podcast right now from communist China, uh, you can look up on the internet the atrocities of the Maoist regime and the, the murder of 90 million people, 90 million people in the 20-some, 30-some years of, uh, from 1949 to, well, probably 1947 to 1976, about 30 years, Mao reigned over the destruction of 90 million people. So we talk about the 12 million who were killed in concentration camps by the Nazis. Almost sounds like a drop in the bucket compared to 90 million people. So <laughs> when someone is that deeply immersed in that much evil, again, as I said earlier, we don't know his heart and we can't make the judgment. The judgment is reserved for God. But um, there's a lot of conversion that's necessary there before uh, love really takes root in a heart that has become so blackened with so much evil. But to bring it back to the rest of us who are probably living at least uh, moderately good lives, expanding the love that we're doing, growing in love has a way of washing away sin and expanding our virtue and making more room for God that we can be more filled with him. Uh, one of the images used by the saints to describe heaven is that in heaven we are filled, but you know, a thimble can be filled and an ocean can be filled. And what do you want to be in heaven? Do you want to be a thimble or be an ocean? Uh, no one will be dissatisfied and there will be no, no comparisons and no envy in heaven, but may we strive to be an ocean 
that we can be an ocean of grace, uh, an ocean of love to continue expanding as we as we move toward heaven. So I've sort of walked around your your question a bit about the last judgment. I guess the simple answer is we'll be judged based on mortal sin. <laughs> but uh, to take a positive approach of striving for the greatest growth in virtue, that we can really have our hearts expanded in love, that we can be filled in in heaven uh, like an ocean, uh, would be sort of my my encouragement. Sure, and for most of us, that will require some sort of positive change, you know, because no one's living. A, most of us are not living perfect lives now. Obviously, there's, or at least not obviously, hopefully. There's at least some crop of saints living in this generation now with us here on this current planet. Um, can don't want to take anything for granted, so obviously they're going down the path. But for the majority of us, there's going to need to be some form of change. And it's actually ironic. I was reading a study earlier this week from a neuroscientist, and in our brains, a chemical was released whenever we're confronted with having to do change about ourselves it's the same type of chemical release in the brain that's the ancient flight or flight mechanism as if we were going to be attacked by an animal that could eat us so that's how our body mentally chemically speaking rejects change now obviously the church has been in business for a long time to do conversions which is another fancy word for change um, of our bodies and minds to become closer to God. So we have this built-in biology to kind of go away from changing, regardless of where we're at now. We can be in the worst spot or the best spot, just the way our brains are don't change. That's how we are. And we've discussed a couple of times in the past about how going down the way of the church is sometimes contrary to biology. We spoke about that, talking about how some of the religious saints created their orders. You know, it's not natural to go towards someone with leprosy to be with them. It's not naturally to go where you are going to be socially humiliated and go with them. But we do it. So I wanted to get a chance to acknowledge, sorry, this is where we're at, chemically speaking, how do we go about this to change for the better? And how do we make that easier for each of us moving forward? Yeah, it's a great, uh, great point. It's not, not hard to, uh, it's not easy to, uh, to grow, to change, to convert. It's not easy to, to face our own failures and our limitations. It's not easy to recognize that our lives are not perfect. We like to delude ourselves into thinking, this is, uh, I'm, I'm doing an amazing job. A few quiet moments usually reveals pretty quickly the, the reality of our, our shortcomings and the things that we've done. So, uh, and it's interesting that there is that resistance to change that's built in us. And, and it shows us something about how important stability is. And that's a divine quality. Stability is a, is a, is a great quality. But it's only a great quality if you've already uh, come to perfection. <laughs> That's why it's a divine quality is because God is perfect. And so it's good for him not to change because any change would make him worse. Uh, if you're perfect and you change, you get worse. So um, 
but for us, uh, we were never there yet. We're never fully converted until we are in heaven, until we are one with him and, and also share in his perfection. So, but uh, the stability is important. And so our bodies resist, our minds resist uh, some change. I think just knowing that is helpful, that when I try to set out changing habits or changing my attitude or uh, really looking at my life and being honest and being open to conversion, that I'm going to get some internal resistance, that it's going to be hard, that it's not going to be easy, and that it's going to be a little painful. And I think just knowing that helps so that when it is painful, we don't go, oh, maybe there's something wrong here. Maybe I need to stop this change. Um, no, it's going to be a little painful. And that's not something to be afraid of. We can, we can accept that. Uh, and, but it's not going to kill us. And, and we can push through and uh, try to change our, our attitude. And, and that happens one step at a time. Uh, one of the benefits of there's, there's a sort of repetitive quality to our lives. Uh, you know this in a particular way in marriage. You know, you, you probably have had the same fight with Teresa about 50 times. And you're going to have it again, you know, so that's good news because that means that you can do it differently the next time. <laughs> the bad thing is that when we do it the same way every time, um, you know, if, if she yells at you for the 50th time because you didn't take the garbage out or something, well, um, try to work on that. That's a, that's a good indication that uh, it's time to be more proactive about that, not wait to get yelled at. And, and, you know, we have this quality in our lives. Our, our lives are repetitive to a large degree. And so that's why also uh, staying the same is helpful for us because the same skill we needed to handle a problem yesterday is the skill we'll need today and tomorrow to handle the same problem. But the same mistake we made yesterday with something could become the same mistake we make today and tomorrow unless we make a decision, press into it, persevere and one step at a time maybe we do one maybe we do it a little bit better today and we still messed up three different ways well can we do it two ways better tomorrow and then we only mess up two ways you know can we make incremental progress and it's a good way to approach life is keep pushing on that incremental progress and and faster than we than we would have guessed we find ourselves having made a lot of good changes and having come a long way because incremental progress actually releases another uh, chemical in the brain, oxytocin, that stimulates uh, a, a euphoria that feels really good, feels really good to do something right, to make a little progress. And that motivates us to do more right, to make a little more progress. And steady, little by little, we find ourselves in, in a much better place. Certainly an example that some of us may have lived through is how much you don't want to go through those first couple of days of working out, but then you wake up a couple of weeks later and you just want to do it. And it's, that's exactly how that works. So father, I definitely thank you for, for your teachings here today. And thank you for being with us all the way from China. And uh, we'll be with everyone here again next week. Thank you everyone out there for helping us grow incrementally. Because we have definitely grown more and more with each month in and each month out. And we only have done that by you guys telling other people and continuing to listen in yourselves. So we thank all of you for that. And we will be with you again here next week.